Thank you. Thank you. Hello. Good evening. That was a very bold prayer. You walk straight into that one. <laughs> it's all good. There is no witchcraft in the house. All righty. Okay, so I'm going to start by saying that tonight's going to be a little bit different. Um, you know, I've been up here a few times over the last month and it's been a whole lot of fun. Uh, but tonight in the ward, the, the ward, the Lord warned me. You try to say those two words back to back really quickly. The Lord warned me that it was going to be a little bit different. And so what I'm going to do tonight is I'm actually going to take you on so I do this sometimes, so this part's not that different. I, I'm gonna take you on the whole journey of, of how the Word came about. Because sometimes it's, there are keys even in the journey. And it's not just about bringing a polished product. It's about you know, seeing Him and how He operates through journey. Because that's life, right? Um, and you know what? I just wanna quickly, I, I literally only have two Scriptures tonight. <laughs> Can you put up Proverbs 25 too? I just want to make a point. I just really, what I've just said, I said I'm going to take you on the journey because it's actually a beautiful journey. All right, so it is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings to search out a matter. Did you know that the word there, conceal, means, amongst other things, means to keep close and to hide self. So it's actually a way that the Lord draws us closer to Him. When, he, when, when there's the breadcrumb trail, it's actually designed to bring us closer to Him. And the word seek, so on His end, He conceals. So He, he allows things, he, he allows a journey to play out the way that it does to draw us to Him. And the word seek, which is on our part, the word seek there means to examine intimately because that's what He wants. He, that, it's, it's, yes, that's what He wants, all right. I'm not gonna preach on that. I just wanted to share that one point. Okay. And you know, oh my gosh, can you see all these post-it notes? I like, on one page, let me just show you. I have to show you this, this is my life. When I typed out this word, I made sure I had every single thought out of my head. That's one page. <laughs> one page, okay? This just, anyway, so just, all right. Just on that, because there's, there's, I'm gonna be sharing a couple of encounters tonight. But the overarching theme is always about, you know, drawing near to Him. He's always inclining Himself to us, but this is about how we can incline, because the problem's never on His end. How do we incline ourselves to Him? And just, you know, just on that Proverbs 25 two, where it's the glory of God to conceal a matter, and it's, you know, it's actually in the Word, it says our honour to seek it out. It's our honour to examine intimately the things that draw us near to Him. It's actually designed to help us enlarge our hearts. That process is designed to help us enlarge our hearts. And you know, for some of us, it, you know, it's also a demonstration of His mercy because sometimes it's the little confirmations here and there that keep us going on the journey, especially in dry seasons. It's the little confirmations that, that, that give us the hope, that keep us going. And for some of us, that's all we have. So it's actually part of a journey that it's very easy to externalise the journey of intimacy with the Lord. But we don't realise that just little confirmations along the way are a manifestation of that relationship with Him. 
So I just wanted to encourage you in that before I started. Okay. But I do, there's one more other point I want to make. Every breadcrumb that we pick up along the trail helps build testimony. It helps build the witness that we bear of the Lord. Now, the, the, the key word there is testimony and you'll see why. Is everyone okay? Very good, okay. Now, I'm gonna tell you how it all started. Now, some of you, well, some of you know that next week I'm off to the Amazon, the Amazon, not Amazon warehouse. <laughs> the jungle in Peru, um, you know, which I'm really excited about. And, you know, I've been pretty busy and, you know, I didn't wanna assume that tonight's preach, I knew that tonight was the last preach that, um, that I was gonna bring before flying out. And I didn't wanna assume that it was just gonna be part four of the amazing series I've done on Fear of the Lord. <laughs> I didn't wanna assume. So um, I, I, you know, I started to engage. I started to engage and inquire of him. And this is what he said to me. He said, it's going to be more about your testimony and maybe some ministry. That's actually what he said, I wrote it down. So it's going to, tonight is gonna to be more about testimony and maybe some ministry. Now, there's a few reasons why I get a bit nervous when the Lord says, it's gonna be some of your testimony. And you know, some reasons I can't share with you, but we all know that testimony involves other people, right? So, and of all the, of all the Tuesday nights that my children wanted to come, it was tonight. <laughs> All three of them independently. Mum, I'm gonna come to church with you Tuesday night. I was like, no, oh, okay, all right. I was like, okay. And then even Israel, so I'm, I'm gonna come. I'm gonna sit in the service too. And I was like, huh, okay. And I was extra nervous because I didn't know what part of my testimony I was gonna be sharing. And the Lord said to me, oh, I, I said to him, I said, um, so what, what part of my testimony? Because you're aware that my testimony involves for the most part, a lot of other people. And he said, what if I provided the testimony? Would you share it? That made me more nervous. I was like, for why, why do you need to warn me about that? There are so many loose ends. I'm just gonna warn you now, okay? <laughs> there are so many loose ends. Yeah, 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 all right. Because when I said to him, and then the, you know, he still hadn't answered me about what the testimony was. And then I said to him, my kids are gonna be there. And you know what he said to me? He said, don't be a Pharisee. Get out of the way. Don't be a Pharisee. Has anyone got a smack like that before? <laughs> ah, all right. Anyway, so this was Friday. I had a very busy week and I knew that I only had Friday to prep the word for tonight. So I did what every good Christian does and I go have an extra long shower and I'm like, all right, Lord, you gotta to speak to me. You gotta to speak to me, you gotta to speak to me. It was actually a really long shower. And, and he said to th then he said, you know, it's about testimony. I'm like, okay, well, could you confirm it? I put a fleece out. I said, if this is what you're saying to me, could you confirm? Don't worry about confirming what testimony, can you just confirm just in fact, you want me to share testimony? I heard nothing for the rest of the week. Well, until, yesterday, right, for the rest of the time. And then I said to him, because I kept asking questions, I kept probing, I said to him, 
hoping that it would reopen the conversation. I said, how do you see testimony? Maybe I'm missing something here. I said, how do you see testimony? Because we have an idea of what it means. And he said to me, this is exactly what he said to me. He said, I see testimony as an expression of your love for me. It's a celebration of us. And I was like, of course, it's a marriage. Now that's a, that's a key. We're gonna go back to that. So on Friday, right, Friday comes and I knew it was the only day I had to prep. So how did I spend my Friday morning? Foxing Maddie. <laughs> procrastinating, procrastinating, procrastinating. So I had this conversation with Maddie and you know, it's not unusual for um, us to, to share like what we're gonna be preaching on. I mean, it's, it's not the focal point. It's not like something that we do religiously. And I just said to her, because I knew that I was using the conversation to procrastinate from what it is that he wanted for, for prepping. Um, and I just said to her, I asked her a, a question and I framed it up like this. I said, Maddie, this is, this is probably a question you're not gonna be able to answer, but I'm gonna ask you anyway. I know it's probably an impossible. I use the word impossible. I said, it's probably an impossible question. I said, but do you think I should be sharing testimony on Tuesday night? And this was her response. I, I even wrote it down. <laughs> her response was, <laughs> I have zero checks on that at face value. That's, I was like, what does that mean? <laughs> I have zero checks on that, as in I don't have any, any caution on that at face value. You know, if you wanna know what it's like being friends with Maddie, she's the Rocky in Rocky and Bullwinkle. I'm Bullwinkle and she's Rocky. <laughs> um, all right. So, and I said to her, and I, I, I've never done this before. I've actually never said this before, but I almost put a caveat on, on the conversation. I said to her, I'm gonna go spend time with the Lord now to really seek out what it is that He wants to me to share tonight. Oh, sorry, Tuesday night. And then I'm gonna come back to you so you can weigh it. I've never done that before. And after I said it, I was like, what am I doing? But, and then I thought to myself, oh my goodness, I'm creating an Ishmael. I wanted confirmation. I've asked her to give it to me. Put out a fleece, I asked her to give it to me. Then I started to freak out a little bit. And I'm like, no, you know what? There's something on this. It felt too organic. There's something on this. And, and it turns out that my spirit was going ahead of me because I, I, I'm gonna share the encounters first and I'm gonna come back to my conversation with Maddie. So I hang up on the phone and I, I just, you know, I start to prepare myself to engage. Now, I don't know about you, but when I, am, when I prepare to spend time with the Lord, I like to silence every other voice in the house. I'm not talking about my kids. I'm talking about everything that speaks to me. So if there's a pile of dishes, if this is messy, if a vacuuming needs to be done, because everything speaks to you, right? So I, I just spent time and as, as I was tidying everything up and putting everything, I like order. As I was putting everything in order, I started to like, a bit of frustration started to build. And I said to him, I asked you for confirmation. I asked you for confirmation around testimony. And I don't feel like I'm pushing this point because I really feel with my spirit, it's meant to be testimony. Because normally if it's meant to be a specific teach, it's something that you carry in you for, for a time. It, it starts to you know, marinate and build and, and stew. But there was nothing on that. I just knew there was weight on the testimony component. And I said to him, you know, you, you, you're meant to give me um, confirmation. And, and I started to pace around and engage him the way that I always do. I began to engage in praise and, and just pace around my lounge room like this. And I noticed that my heart rate was going up. I, I'm not a person that suffers anxiety, but I've, I've discovered this lately, that my heart rate started to go up and I just felt there wasn't, it just didn't feel, the gel, the gel wasn't the same. And I just stopped 
because I've learned to listen, to, you know, to, to where my heart's speaking and my body's speaking. And I just stopped. And I was like, why is my heart rate going up? And this is what the Lord said to me. He said, the motivation to be with me can't be for a word. I was like, ouch. Again, that was two smacks in one week. So I was like, okay, well, you know what? Sometimes smacks are good because smacks stop you worrying about whatever it is that you're worried about because it shows you that you're on the wrong trajectory anyway. So I was like, oh, I'm, not, I'm not even, I'm not gonna work for this word. So I just started to like, you know, I just went, you know what, I'm just, I'm gonna pretend I'm not even preaching and I'm, I'm just gonna start to worship. I'm gonna worship for worship's sake. And immediately I see the Lord sitting on the throne and I was like, oh, here we go, <laughs> it's happening. And I see him sitting on the throne and he's got his feet in a bucket of water. And I was like, oh my goodness, I'm gonna wash your feet. How many people here have washed somebody else's feet? Oh, okay, all right. So now my, my normal disposition around washing feet, like I don't have one because it's not something I do. But as I'm washing his feet, I knew that it was a special and precious interaction. I knew that it was a, a, a beautiful moment. And I felt that. I felt the privilege and the honour and all of those things that you would associate with washing feet, especially the Lord's feet. But as I was washing them, I noticed that I felt no emotion. So I, I, I was aware of honour. I was aware of privilege, right? But I wasn't aware of any heart connect in and of myself. And that... I, I knew that wasn't right. So when I get stuck like that, and if you ever get stuck like that, this is, th so this is something that actually helps me a lot. I always ask Him to show me through His eyes. So I immediately try to surrender my understanding and I go, all right, I'm missing something here. Would you show me this through your eyes? And, and as soon as I asked that, this is what I saw. I saw that He could just see the top of my head. I was, you know, my head was bowed and I was busy at work, aware of the privilege and the honour. And then he said to me, he challenged me and he said, look up, look into my eyes, hold my gaze. And as soon as I did that, do you know how confronting and challenging it is to look someone in the face when you're holding and caressing their feet? Do you know how intimate that is? I bet you never thought of feet that way. I hope not. But when you're washing someone's feet and you look up and you hold their gaze, it completely shifts the perspective. And He showed me, He showed me why there was no emotion because I was doing it, I was engaging the, the, um, the process. I was, I, was engaged, I was connected to or connecting with the virtue attached but I wasn't doing it from a place of intimacy. I wasn't doing it, I, I wasn't engaging what it, the, the posture that it demands of our heart to look him in the eye as I'm, as I'm serving him that way. And then he said to me, he showed me, I'll probably just read it out so I don't mess it up. It actually shifted the focus of my serving to being an actual expression of our love for each other. I'm actually gonna put out a challenge. You don't have, I mean, I don't wanna, you don't have to all tell me about this. But if, think of someone that you're super close to, someone that you think you're close to, someone that you would say you're comfortable with. Wash their feet and look in their eyes as you're doing it. 
it'll reveal all of your defensive, protective mechanisms. It'll reveal what, why you can't receive. It'll be the first thing that comes up in your heart as soon as you go to hold their gaze. As soon as I did that, and I allowed the fact that He holds nothing between us, the fact that He was just so, He was not struggling to receive from me. He was just, His heart was just so embracing of that moment of intimacy, it broke me. There was nothing left to hide behind. Just do it with the Lord if you can't do it with another human being. It'll really reveal where you've lost sight of things. The heart is very good at justifying things. The heart is very good at justifying things. And as soon as you're in this, as soon as, as soon as the focus shifts of what you're doing for the Lord to holding His gaze as you're doing it, it's very confronting. And it will reveal why it is that we've lost sight. It's whatever comes up in our heart as we're doing it, that's why you've lost sight. After we finished this time, it was very healing. It was like in five seconds, it's amazing what the Lord can do in your heart in five seconds. After we finished, He got up and He was, you know, ushering me to, to, you know, to spend time with Him in the secret place. And He took me to a part of the secret place that I've never seen before. I'm very familiar with my secret place, my secret place. And I saw, you know, I'm following him and then I look and he takes me to this place where there's this beautiful fire pit. Have you seen these amazing like landscaping magazines where these mansions have got these amazing stone fire pits, you know, built into the ground and all that? Yeah, it was like that. And as soon as I came up, he said to me, it's story time. I was like, there's a confirmation for testimony. It's story time. What do you do around a fire pit? And I was like, oh, you're so good but you wanted to break something in me. You wanted to shift the focus of everything that I do for you to never lose sight of you and to hold you. To, my, my gaze has to be on you, in you. So I was very relieved to have had my confirmation around testimony. Now, straight after that, I went into another encounter and the encounter took place in this room but I was at home, but I, I was in this room. And I said to him, I said, you know what? I don't wanna work for anything. I, I, don't wanna, I don't want to manufacture anything. I've learnt my lesson this morning. I said, I need to see what you're gonna be doing Tuesday night. What, what Reveal yourself on Tuesday night now for me. And immediately I was sitting on the front row here. I was the only person in this room and the Lord's on the stage. And before he speaks, that door opens and in walks animals marching two by two, walk into the sanctuary. And the animals get to about here and, and there was a, a, a pair of lions and they weren't at the front you know, at, at the head of the, the, the line, there was a pair of lions and the lioness was on this side and the male lion was on that side. And as they're walking in, he's just standing in, he's looking at them. It's like he ushered them in. And as he's looking at them, the female, the lioness looked up and she's just looking at him like this. And it did something to me. 
I was like, why? I said, why is she looking at you? Why is she the only animal that has turned to hold your gaze? Again, holding his gaze. And this is what he said to me. He said, she represents the bride. Now, I'm gonna stick to my notes because I don't wanna miss a detail. He says, she represents a bride. And he said, then bang, 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 bang. He just said all of these things all at once. Now, obviously, when I said I saw animals coming in two by two, what's the first thing you thought of? The ark. And he said to me, we don't get on the ark for survival's sake. We get on the ark because we agree with his judgments and we have said yes to the mandate, to the reset. It wasn't just to escape the flood. There was a remnant that got onto the ark because they understood the assignment. And when, and when I saw the lioness turn and look and I said to him, you know, why her? And he said, she's the bride. Immediately I saw her womb. So she knew what her yes was connected to. She knew, well, she was obviously convinced of the mandate, but she knew her role and responsibility of what life on the other side was gonna look like. She was going to bring forth through her cubs, through her womb, the DNA of the remnant. She was going to commit herself to the mothering and fathering of the next generation. And he said to me, because the ark wasn't meant to be an escape. The ark was for, obviously for Noah and his family to survive, to survive the flood, but the focus was to establish the new government on the earth. That was the focus, to partner with his reset. So tonight's word is about judgments and resets. So we need to see, and I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to unpack a part of my testimony in the context of judgments and resets. But before I do, we need to see that we, if we don't understand how judgment works, we're not going to receive the fullness of that verdict. A judgment is a verdict. And if we see it as I, I have survived this judgment, we're not going to use the reset for what it's for what it's purposed for. He said to me, judgments create resets. I knew then and there that I had my full preach. It was actually like 12 minutes. How do I know? Because it all happened in the space of one song that's 12 minutes long. And I ran to my computer and I just started to, to just type out all the download that I got. And as I'm typing, I only got like two or three sentences in. As I'm typing, the Lord reminded me about Maddie. He said, you promised that you would submit your word to her to be weighed. So I picked up the phone and voxed Maddie. And by miracle, she was there listening straight away. <laughs> she normally takes a while. <laughs> and I said to her, this is what I'm thinking the Lord's showing me. I shared both of my encounters with her and I monologued for like eight minutes. And as soon as I finished, she said, I have confirmation for you. Can you, and then she sent me this. Can you put up the image that she sent me? She was listening to, is that an audio book? She was listening to an audio book when I, when I was voxing right before. So she had just started listening to this audio book called The Reset. And Jeremy Riddle, right? I was listening to a Jeremy Riddle song when I had the encounter. Cause I'm like, oh, I think he wants me to talk about judgments or recess, but I'm not sure, what do you think? And she's like, you know, she must be thinking, just shut up, stop talking so I can confirm for you. So, and, and she was saying that, the, that the, the substance of that book is about, you know, going back to the true heart of worship and holding his gaze and 
Yes, yes. Anyway, so I just thought that was really cool. just wanted to share it with you. <laughs> All right, so going back, judgments create resets and it is the mercy of the Lord. And I've spoken about that at length, so I'm not gonna go back into mercy now. But a reset unto what? It's all good and well to say judgments create resets, but unto what? A reset closes a matter. A reset wipes the slate clean. A reset consumes and ends something that previously held us in contempt. And I shared about the Israelites the last time I was up here, about how you know, when, when God chose, it was, He never planned, sorry, the Israelites weren't planning on, on, on entrapping themselves up against the body of water. They were meant to go this way. But God said, no, 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 you're gonna go this way. You're gonna have your back up against the sea. And I will show Pharaoh. I will get my honour. That's what He said. I will gain my honour. And then I shared on Sunday morning that the Lord used the Red Sea to completely consume the Egyptians, everything that represented their slavery. So a reset is actually in our favour. You know, judgments aren't meant to be, and I really hope this is the right term because I did watch the movie, judgments aren't meant to be a double jeopardy. If you, if a judgment has landed, whether in your favour or not, it doesn't matter, it doesn't change the fact that the spiritual principles and laws remain. If a judgment has landed, it is the end of a matter. That matter is over. And to tie this loose end, what I wanna say is this. If we can see judgments for what they are, which are resets, and we see them as an opportunity to overcome, that produces testimony. But if we see them as punishment, we then withdraw and we lick our wounds. And then what's the, what is the guaranteed trajectory from there? You're gonna repeat the same cycle, right? So judgments are resets. Resets are an opportunity to overcome and produce testimony. The orphan mindset will see the Lord's deliverance as rescue. When the Lord delivered the Israelites out of Egypt. He wasn't rescuing them. He was reinstating them in their rightful place. He pulled them out of slavery to make them rulers. That escalated quickly. The orphan mindset or if, you do, if that's too strong and you don't wanna identify as an orphan, that's fine. But if you see judgments as, as a punishment, then you're actually magnifying the kingdom of darkness. It's a, it's a slave mentality. Resets should produce repentance. Like I said, otherwise we get stuck in cycles, just like the Israelites did in the book of um, Judges. They kept getting delivered the Lord, because He's so good and their identity was to, to co-rule and reign with Him, delivered them. They didn't see that. They just saw it as, oh, our, our suffering has ended. And they continued to do what was right in their own eyes. Okay. Now, I promised you testimony. Now the fun begins. 
I tried to warn Nick. I said, babe. <laughs> All right, I'll tell you why. So right at the end of having these encounters, I was like, okay, you've confirmed that I'm supposed to share testimony, but what testimony? What am I doing? And then immediately he brought a memory to mind, a memory that is so random that I don't even know when I would have come up with it by myself. It was such a random memory that I've almost forgotten. Actually, I had forgotten about it. And as soon as I saw the memory, I was like, oh, okay, I know what you want me to share about. So the, test, the part of the t- my testimony that I'm gonna share tonight is how Nick and I got together in the context of judgments and resets, okay? So it'll be cycles of judgments and resets through our time, a story through our time. You can get excited about that. It's a good story. All right. The, the memory that was resurrected for me was I was sitting on a plane, a little Rex, who's been on a Rex flight? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was sitting on a Rex flight back from Cooper to Adelaide. And the memory was I was having a conversation with a God I barely knew and one that I wasn't even sure was listening. And, you know, but obviously he was. So I'll give you some, some backstory. I had finished um, my schooling. I was probably nine, uh, 19, I reckon I was 19. Um, my kids have never heard the story. Yep, okay. Um, uh, and I, I knew, okay, so for those of you who don't know much about Cooper Pedy, Cooper Pedy is a, a small town in the middle of Australia. It's about nine hours north of here. And it's, you know, um, th- th- this is not like, you know, you won't find this in a, in, a, in a newspaper anywhere. It's just common knowledge for the locals that nobody there really wants to work. Okay, so, if, so many people will, would go, locals who have come to Adelaide for schooling would go back to Cooper Pedy and get a government job. It was very quick and easy to, to ascend the ladder in, the, in, the government, in any government department. So you could be a high school dropout, go start an admin role in an office somewhere of any government department in Cooper Pedy, and in, in three or four years, you'd be managing you know, the whole department. And then the, then the aim was to then get a transfer back to Adelaide, and you're in a role that most people would have to work 10 to 15 years for. And that, that is, that, that's legit, that actually is, is true. So I was like, this is what I'm gonna do. I'm, you know, I, I used to work, no, don't worry about that, okay. So I was like, I'm gonna go to Cupidi, I'm gonna get a government job, and then, you know, I'm, I'm gonna go run the Woomera Detention Centre. That's what I'm gonna go do, right? So I went to Cupidi, and I was just there to fish it out. I was just there to fish out, like, you know, what, what, what's, what's, you know, where can I go? Everyone knows everyone, it's not gonna be hard. And I was only there for like, I went, I went for the weekend, from Friday to Monday type thing. And, you know, the first couple of nights that I was there, bumped into old friends. Um, everybody, literally everybody knows everybody in that town. And so I was, you know, just connecting with some old friends and, you know, um, and we went out for drinks at one of, the, one of the few bars there. And there was a guy there. There was a guy that, you know, back when I was living there, he was a, bit too, a little bit too old for me. And at that age, it was, the, the gap was, you know, quite, quite big. The years weren't, the gap of years, I could feel myself getting into a pit now, right? When I was a teenager, when I was there, it was too big a gap, but as an adult, it's not, okay? All right, okay. And I noticed he looked very different to the way that he looked when I had left, very different. And I really could see how my life in Cooper Pedy was gonna go very well. 
you know. He was, he was the first thing on my list. He was the first thing on my list. I was like, yeah, I'm going to get, oh no, second thing, get a government job and then next. But I knew, you know what? Everybody right now in my family that may be watching on live stream is thinking, who the heck is she talking about? And you know what? And I, let me add, he was a convicted felon. But he had done his, yeah. Ah! <laughs> Moving right on. Oh, my family right now, the, the messages are going off. <laughs> I tell you right now, who's she talking about? Anyway, um, and so obviously it wasn't ideal, but it didn't matter because I could, I could, work, with, I could work with that. That's, I could work with that. But I knew it was going to cost me scroll. I knew it was going to cost me scroll, but even though I didn't even know what scroll was, nobody had ever used that word with me before. But the, the reason why I, what I'm going to, the parallel I'm going to draw it back to is I knew it was going to cost me everything I knew and I loved and that was family because my family would not have approved. My family would not have approved. And it really is like my big fat Greek wedding. When one person makes a decision, everybody comes along for the ride. Right, so it wasn't going to be like, everyone's going to take a vote and everyone's going to choose it. No, it's just like, if this, if this is the general consensus, well, that's it. The family has spoken, right? So I knew it was going to cost me everything, everything that I knew. I mean, I suppose it's not every Christian family's dream to have their daughter barefoot and pregnant and married to a convicted felon. But anyway, now I didn't have a car, so my dad came to collect me because my dad was living in Cuba PD at the time. He, he would do months in Cuba and then months back in Adelaide. So he was in Cuba PD at the time. I wasn't staying with him because he was staying in, the, in, in, a, in a dugout. Um, so I was staying with my auntie. And so my dad came to collect me. And it was like, honestly, it was like a, a comic strip. He just walks in and he just, as soon as he looked at me, I was like, oh no. It was like he could, he could hear every single thought that was going through my head. And he comes up to, the, ta- to the, the bar table where we were and he goes, oh, I'm going to take you home now. And I was like, he normally creates a scene. When he was alive, he would always create a scene. Always. And I, so I, I cut my losses and I went, well, yeah, we'll go now. So we get in the car and he takes me back home. And, you know, my dad, in my adult life, I was an adult then, in my whole adult life, my dad, the Lord almost never spoke through my dad. We never got along. We clashed like crazy. He was fight and I was fight. So that was a bad, and he was quite controlling. So it was a bad combination. Um, so I, w- I was ready for World War Three in the car because I had already decided what I wanted, right? I had already mapped out the landscape of Cupertini and what my plans were. And he drops me off and he pulls up in my auntie's driveway and he just, there was no emotion. He just looked at me and he just said, I was like, it was a different person. He just looked at me and he said, I think it's best you go back to Adelaide. Now, had he spoken to me the way that he usually speaks to me or he used to speak to me, I could almost guarantee you I would have bucked and I would have taken that because that would have muddied the waters. I would have taken that and I would have run in the direction that I wanted to run. But because he said it so solemnly, so soberly, I was able to hear the wisdom in what he was saying. He had no agenda. It was, it was pure wisdom coming out of his mouth. And because he's not normally like that, I could, it, was hard, it was hard to ignore. So by the grace of God, I chose the better part, but, okay, begrudgingly. So first part of the cycle, judgment was rendered on my behalf, okay, in my favour. I chose to lay something down that I really wanted 
something that looked good in my own eyes. I knew what tree I wanted to partake of, but I chose against it. So judgment was rendered on my behalf. At the same time, I found out years later, at the same time, maybe it, was, it happened while I was in Kubapiti, but my mum back in, here in Adelaide has a dream, a very, very vile and visceral dream about me in Kubapiti. I'm not gonna go into the details, but she obviously was very disturbed about my trajectory had I remained in Kubapiti. So she must've been praying. So now I'm, you know, I'm back on the plane. Now, I just said to you, judgment was rendered on my behalf because the memory of me back on the plane, I was sitting there talking to a God I didn't even know, quite faithless to be honest. And I just remember saying this, I said, there'd better be something really good for me back in Adelaide. Like you owe me kind of thing. Like, I've, do you see what I laid down? There better be something really good for me. Turns out that within months of being back in Adelaide, I get a new job at the workplace where I met Nick. Reset. Judgment was rendered on my behalf, created a reset. I've actually got a post-it note here saying, don't name the workplace or the people. (laughs) Rachel must be like, (laughs) I'm trying, Rachel, I'm trying. Actually, I'm gonna put it there so it doesn't get lost. (laughs) Right there. All right. (laughs) So literally within months, and it happened so quickly. Actually, it was probably weeks to be honest because it happened so quickly. And I'm not talking about I was raised to follow a breadcrumb trail prophetically. I wasn't raised to do that. It happened so quickly that I just went, oh, maybe you do have something better for me. Like I, I couldn't help but join the two dots, right? Now, the place that we met at is a very, if you know, you know, good for you. If you don't know, it was a very, um, it was uh, owned by Greeks. Think of every stereotype. Think of every negative stereotype you would have about Greeks. It was in that workplace, right? Okay. I'm going to, 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 just to help you understand about my reset, I'm gonna give you some, some, some information about what my time in that workplace looked like. The assignment against me being in that workplace was so strong, so strong, and this is what I'm gonna share with you, right? But obviously, it was the Lord's plan, okay? I went through crazy, crazy, now there is, where is he? Dinor. Dinor, can you put up your hand? Higher. Okay. <laughs> that man over there will verify everything I'm gonna say tonight, yeah? Okay, none of this is a word of a lie, okay? Okay, let me, here's my cousin. <laughs> and he was like my best friend throughout all my teenage, I'm sorry, all, all my adolescent years. So I used to tell him everything that was happening to me. So everything I'm gonna share with you is the absolute truth. This workplace, um, I worked in the office there. Nick worked at the back. Um, what did you do again? <laughs> paint, paint, no, I can't say that. People will know what I'm talking about. No, Nick worked at the back, that's all you need to know. All right. Oh, that was close. 
And the, 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 uh, the owners, the family that owned it were quite demonised, but they were also Christians. It happens, right? They were, but they were demonised. I went through hectic levels of um, verbal abuse. I'm, okay, I'm gonna go a little bit over tonight because I have to fit the story in, okay? I'm gonna go a little bit over tonight. Um, the, I'm talking like screaming in my face, swearing at me, calling me every name under the sun if I did something wrong. I went through crazy amounts of sexual harassment. I'm talking, um, you know, I could, just, I could just see Rachel in the corner going, <laughs> crazy amounts of sexual harassment and I also went through sexual abuse where I had to physically stop someone's hands going into places while I'm walking through the factory with them. I'm trying to do my job and I'm, and I'm grabbing his hand and trying to keep it out of my jeans. I'm just being honest, okay? Like we're all adults here. This, I have to give you context. I have to give you context. Whatever. <laughs> like... <laughs> I don't know what, <laughs> okay. You know, so verbal abuse daily, sexual harassment daily, sexual abuse daily. I even had, I went through um, persecution for being a Christian because even though they were Christians, I was spirit filled and everything about me grated them. And you know, they, they, would, they would find out that I, you know, we'd be having like Bible studies at home because in the Greek community in Adelaide, everybody knows Adelaide. And I would get persecuted. I would get cornered and say, if, if, if the tongues are real, interpret them right now. Prove this, prove that. Do you think hell's real? Did, did you really think that there's a lake of fire? And I was like, you'll be telling me. But anyway. <laughs> and there was, there was so much persecution that one day, this is directly linked to them finding out that we had like a real, you know, spirit-filled meeting in, in, in my parents' house. There was one day that I was, by the two people that persecuted, this, these are the owners, the owners and, and another one. There was so much persecution around being a Christian that I was dragged into the kitchen, put up against the wall and I had the barrel of a pistol. My, my top was pulled down, the barrel of the pistol on my chest and ask, how does it feel to have cold steel between your... Yeah, I was like, alrighty. I shared my desk with the sergeant at arms of one of Australia's biggest bikey gangs. He would come in and use my desk whenever he needed to, whatever a sergeant at arms does for a bikey gang. I was drugged. I was drugged against, um, well, obviously against my will. I didn't know what was happening, but I was given, yep. Um, so I became an alcoholic. I became an alcoholic because over the four years that I was there, I asked God every single year. Again, a God I barely knew and didn't even know he was listening to me. But every single year, I would, every single year, I don't even, I don't know, maybe it was on that, what's that fancy September? Rosh Hashanah. Maybe it was then, I don't know, maybe you had an, an, an unction of the Holy Ghost to ask then for a reset, I don't know. But every year I would come before the Lord, again, totally faithless, but He was listening. And I said, can you please release me from this workplace? Like, is, can I leave? I, 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 didn't, I didn't grow up knowing the Lord, but I knew I was always raised, I was always told when you're obedient, there's blessing and when you're disobedient, there's curses. So I didn't want the latter. So I said, would you please let me leave this workplace now? And every year he'd say, no, no. You know, people leave their workplace. Like, 
the pendulum has swung so far. I don't think people have capacity these days. This was my environment every single day. I used to cry and drive on the way to work going, just let me get through today. And the, even though I asked God that, this is how I got through my day. Every lunchtime, I would, as soon as my lunch break started, I would drive, I found the nearest pub, one that was gonna take too much time in travel. And I would go to the pub and I would order three scotches in a row to save time from having to order another one. I'd walk in three scotches, thanks, and I'd have them lined up on the bar. And I would sit there and I would just drink because I only had 30 minute break. And then you take out travel time, I was left with about 18 minutes. So I would drink three scotches every day during my lunch break. Now, obviously that's not enough. That, le- that, that intensity, three scotches isn't enough. So I began to drink all of the time. I remember, I remember that whenever um, I was in the car with somebody else, which wasn't very often, mainly dinner, he'd, he'd wanna drive. And every corner that we turned, you could just hear clung, 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 clung. Is that not true? Bottles in my back, the backseat of my car everywhere. I was always drinking. Okay. Yeah, all right. <laughs> Am I starting to make sense now to people that have exposure to me a lot? <laughs> Good. <laughs> um, that's funny. All right. And you know, cycles are funny because in that workplace, there was a guy, actually he didn't work there, he was connected to the people that owned the business and he would come. And I was like, yeah, I could do that. That, I don't, I became so numb. I kept submitting my life to a God I didn't know and I couldn't hear. Well, no, that's not true, I did hear, I heard the no. But I'm under intense pressure every day. And I just, it's, it, when your heart will build so quickly. I justified the easy escape route very quickly. Your heart builds so quickly. And I remember going up to dinner and saying to him, you know what? That guy there, I'm, I, I've, I've heard that he's, he's been asking about me. I think he's interested in me. I, that, I'm, I'm gonna do this. Did you tell me then and there what he had done the night before? Yeah, yeah. and, and Dino in his very diplomatic way was like, you know, probably not, probably not the best idea. And I found out later on that just that week, he was, he's the type of guy that would have topless girls walking around, you know, drugs, all of this thing in his house. And here I'm going up to my older cousin, I, I think I'm gonna start dating him. Dino's like, oh my gosh. So anyway, so cycles. Again, I was going for not so much the cream of the crop. <laughs> not so, not the cream of the crop. <laughs> but that's how I survived my four years. Long story short, the way that we got together was very supernatural. Um, I was outside, this was the fourth year, okay? I didn't know that it was the final year, but I had asked four times and four times the answer was no. I was standing at the front of the office and there was heaps of, it was, must have been autumn and there was heaps of leaves in the driveway and I started sweeping them out off the steps of the office. And Nick walks across the back of the factory. And, and as I'm sweeping, I just look up and I see Nick walk across. And as I do that, an audible voice, I've only heard it once, an audible voice speaks into my ear and says, you're gonna marry that man. It was so clear that I turned around and I was looking, there's no one else there, but I wasn't scared, but it was an audible voice. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this very quickly. And when something like that happens to you, it marks you. 
It, do, it doesn't come with all of the fuzzies. An angel didn't come with a scroll and explain to me how it was gonna happen. I just knew the Lord had spoken and I couldn't ignore it. But everything in the natural was saying it's impossible. Nick was Greek Orthodox. That was something that I was taught. I reckon it was like a mantra I was taught as a kid. Do not unequally yoke yourself. Do not unequally yoke yourself. Do not unequally yoke yourself. So I didn't understand how it was gonna happen, but I knew it was gonna happen. Then not long after that, God's a genius. Not long after that, um, part of my role was to count the money. We used to pay people in cash back in those days in an envelope with a pay slip. And me and the office girl would do it, the other office girl would do it together to make sure that, um, you know, that there was, you know, nothing going missing. And I remember I saw Nick's pay slip and put it in. She counted it, then I counted it. And I went, oh, Theodosiatis, that's a nice name. I could do that name. Counted the, you know, yep, yep, it says the, the amount matches what's on the pay slip, put it in the envelope and, you know, distribute it. And then at lunchtime, Nick comes into the office and he says to our boss, he said, there's $100 missing from my pay slip. Now, Nick didn't get paid a lot. $100 was a lot of money. And I was like, okay. The boss calls us, calls us. He goes, all right, girls, did you both count the money? We're like, well, yeah, we did. And the money was there. We both counted it. And he opened it and he goes, I'm missing $100. And the boss said, well, too bad. The girls have counted, too bad. And, he walk, and Nick, Nick was not happy and he walked off. And then I'm like, okay. And I go back to my desk and as I'm going back to my desk, again, not quite audible, but it was very strong. The Lord said to me, give him $100. Now, had I thought about it, I probably wouldn't have done it because that would have looked like an admission of guilt. Lucky I don't think like that. <laughs> so I just went to my bag, I grabbed $100 and I just marched to the back where his station was and I said, here you go. And he wouldn't touch it. He said, where did it come from? He said, did the boss give it to you to give to me? And I said, it doesn't matter where it came from, just take, just take it. And he was very conflicted. I mean, he had a mortgage, he had $100 was, was a lot. He was very conflicted and he said to me, I'll take it, but you have to let me, you know, repay you. And I said, whatever, like, sure. If that's what you want to do, sure. So supernaturally, money went missing, right? Then other weird things started to happen. People at work started operating words of knowledge. The lunch van would come. Maybe they were high, I don't know. The lunch van would come and everybody from the factory ran out to the lunch van. And I was, you know, why do boys do stupid things when they're like you? One of the guys started throwing ice at me. And I'm like, do you know how long it takes me to do this every day? <laughs> just started throwing ice at me and I knew he kind of had a crush on me. And somebody so random, another worker comes out and says, be careful, she's the, uh, she might be the next Mrs. Theodosiatis. And I just went, were you there? Did you hear that? No. And I looked at him and I was like, how did you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> but it was still so random. And then another day we're sitting out at you know, this massive concrete table and you know, there was nothing happening between us, nothing, right? Well, we, we had started to talk to each other, that was about it. Um, after four years of working together, more than high by. And we're sitting around this concrete table, a lot of us having our lunch and my boss was out there 
And we're just talking about the weekend. And out of nowhere, he raises his fist and slams it down on this concrete table. The table starts to rock like this. That's how hard he hit. The, the, it was a massive concrete table. The table starts to rock and he goes, no, no, you two will never be. You and you will never be. That's some freaky stuff. I just went, and everyone on the table's going, Are you guys going out? <laughs> and I was like, no. So we're talking crazy supernatural. The assignment against us getting together was so strong. There was another time where my boss, this is before, before Nick even knew that I was interested. My boss comes up to me randomly, interrupts my work, randomly comes up to me and he says, you know, Nick, and I'm like, this is, I can't deal with this anymore. He goes, you know, Nick, he likes the women. He likes the women. And I was like, okay. But then I walked away going, but am I the woman? <laughs> Do I fit this category? <laughs> it started to play on my heart because I knew that this was the man that I, that I was meant to be with. Anyway, it was a very, very long, tumultuous journey. The assignment against us getting together was so strong, so strong. And, you know, so even though there was a reset and I chose the better part and the Lord landed me in the workplace that landed me, the, my, my, my scroll partner, the battle, the warfare was so strong and I could have opted out at any time. I could have used anyone. Do you remember that list? I could have used any one of those points at any time to have justified getting off the highway, taking the, the what's it called, off-ramp. But unfortunately, you know, our, our families weren't, weren't healed. Our family, every family has their issues and cycles repeated in that, you know, the assignment against us continued in family. Nick was an Orthodox, therefore, and my dad used to call him the uncircumcised Philistine. And he, I wasn't allowed to be with Nick. I wasn't allowed to talk to Nick. I wasn't even allowed to go out for coffee because only the whore of Babylon goes out for coffee when she's single, especially with an uncircumcised Philistine. This is, this, this is dinner, is that not true? Thank you, okay. All right. But lo, so there was a lot of damage that was caused. When God says something's gonna happen, it's gonna happen. So there was a lot of damage that was caused relationally though within the family as, as this sort of you know, came together. But in the end, my dad loved Nick. Nick was like one of his faves for a while. You know, when Nick proposed to me, even the elements were against us. When he proposed to me, he took me down to the beach and he got drowned three times by the waves. <laughs> I'm not joking. He's like, so he kind of like gets down on one knee and the water's here and he's like, will you? And a wave came. And I was like, what? And then he comes out of the water and he goes, Christina, will we? And another wave comes and I'm like, damn it. <laughs> and then another one comes, and I, sorry, then he comes back up and he goes, well, and will you? And another wave and I grabbed him and I said, yes. <laughs> Even the waves were against us. It was hectic. And you know what? Before he proposed to me, obviously, he, he knew parts of the journey. He didn't know. I didn't tell Nick a lot of this stuff, otherwise he probably would have killed somebody. I didn't tell Nick a lot of the stuff that I had gone through in that workplace. I, I slowly released the information. 
right? Um, so, but I knew the cost to me. I knew what the journey was like. And I remember the first time I was, you know, in a relationship. Oh, who says I love you first? It, it was me. And we were in the car. We went out one night. We we're in the car. And I said to him, I said, I, I love you. And this was his response. I like you very much. <laughs> that was my reward. Rehabilitated alcoholic, defiled, exposed to violence to get it. I like you very much. Anyway, <laughs> eventually we got married, obviously. <laughs> what? Yes. <laughs> and we continued to build through our brokenness. I took every deficit into my life, sorry, from, in my life into the marriage, and so did Nick. And we built in our own ways. And what happens when you build in your own ways? Judgment lands. So judgment landed. We came to the end of ourselves. I came to a place where my faith was crumbling. We were, we were going through a lot of things financially. There was just a lot happening relationally. Just a, it was a mess, everything was going on. You know, when you come to the end of yourself, that's judgment. And sometimes some of us just need to come to the end of ourselves. Sometimes that's what, what it actually takes. But when you come to the end of yourself, it's judgment. Now, what I'm gonna say there is, in the first 10 years of our marriage, we were invited to FOD. Now, I had known some people in the charismatic Pentecostal circles of Adelaide, and they called FOD home and they were Fruit Loops. And I, when they invited me to fight, I said, if that's your home, there's a whole lot of you. I'm not coming. So 10 years before we ever walked into the doors of FOD, we had already been invited, right? So that would have been a chance for a reset, but I knew better. So eventually judgment landed in our own ways, judgment landed. Every single one of our false refuges came under fire. I was saying before my face started to crumble. And you know, I shared the story a few Tuesday nights ago when God came into my room, that that had happened years before, but you cannot live by encounter alone. Even though, I mean, that wasn't an encounter. That was like, that was, I, don't, I was in it. I was starring in the movie. I wasn't watching the movie and it's not enough to sustain you. I still, years later, my faith had crumbled I don't even know how it started off in the first place, to be honest, and what my faith was like. But I remember saying, right before coming to FOD, I remember saying, maybe John Lennon was right, and maybe Christianity is a massive phase. I was invited to FOD again, again, through a crazy person. But this time, I recognised the cycle. This time I said, yes, reset. There was a reset. Now, our journey in FOD has been, you know, it's, it's been amazing, obviously. It's been amazing. But it, does, it didn't mean it was easy. It, it was a season of breaking on the rock everything that I, the Lord revealed I had raised up against Him. Super fruitful though. But we had come to the end of ourselves and there was a reset and I, I recognised that I couldn't afford to go back to my own understanding. Because my own understanding, even though I had seen God, my own understanding brought me to a place of, 
maybe the Beatles were right. So we took the reset seriously. We took it so seriously that we allowed the Lord to completely transform every area of our life. And I've shared this before, so I'm not gonna go over it again, but I, I, I talked about, we let, we, we let the Lord redefine everything. I'm talking everything. There wasn't, there wasn't much that was left. We let Him redefine the roles in the marriage, not what was modelled for us. We let Him redefine you know, how we parented. We let Him redefine how we spent our time. You know, what time we went to bed, not saying like the Lord was like, you're gonna go to bed at nine o'clock. It was about stewarding our time and our well-being. We, you know, we used to have people come over. It was normal for us to have people to come over at 10 o'clock at night and leave at three o'clock in the morning. Now, I didn't have a problem with it until I realised that I had a problem with it. Because I could not, I came into FOD and I went after the Lord, I went after scroll. And then what you choose, how you choose to posture yourself, the light will shine. And the light shone on everything in my world. We're talking about this the other day with the interns. The light shone on everything in my world that was not conducive to my walk with the Lord. So I let Him redefine everything. He redefined my marriage, my parenting, how we managed our finances, our friendships, how we spent our time, our priorities, everything. I even had to fold my demerit point syndicate. We used to trade demerit points. I've got three left, how many you got? I just got to find, yeah, okay, all right, I'll give you two. And the next one you take for me until I found out that was a breach. I tried to do it with Daryl. <laughs> I was like, let me teach you how this works. I was like, I've got to find how many points you got. And he's like, can't do that. And I'm like, what do you mean? This is how I've stayed with my license. Like, what do you mean? So my point is it became a lifestyle. It became, a, I, I treated the reset. I wanted to maintain the reset. You know what? We took the whole, let the Lord redefine everything and, and submit all of our value systems unto heavens. We took it so seriously that we went and got our cat registered and desexed because that was a breach. I felt like a saint that day. I was like, even Chico I bring to you. <laughs> but the whole process took time. It's not, not a one hour session. It took time and if you're doing it properly, it should take time because it's meant to be your new lifestyle. Maintaining the reset as an opportunity. So resets, judgment produces resets. Resets are an opportunity to overcome and that is testimony. They overcame by the blood of the Lamb. He did the hard part. That's where we get the blood from. They overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. He rates testimony. And we get testimony from overcoming. Otherwise, when you share your story, it carries so much sting and sorrow that people end up more traumatised than before you started speaking. So it, the whole process took time and it should. That's what permanent changes look like. And the cost of maintaining the reset is high. That's why it's called the narrow path. But if you view judgment as I survived that one, if you view it as a punishment and I survived it and you've got some prejudice toward the Lord about it, you, I can guarantee you you're gonna end up in the, the exact same cycle, but worse. Because each time the judgment lands, it always costs you more. So the cost of maintaining that reset is high because it's a narrow path. But the reward is that the narrow path means that your crooked ways become straight. And that 
that creates a platform for the Spirit of God to land. And I've unpacked before many, 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 many times that when the Spirit of God comes and lands on a heart that is postured, you can, to maintain this requires a fear of the Lord. Because if you're doing it for your own reasons, that's behaviour modification and you'll end up, you can't escape the Spirit laws, you just can't. Okay? The inner world is so linked to the Spirit world, you can't separate the two. So it creates a landing place for the Spirit of God to land and in, in order to do that, in order to maintain the cost of the reset and to walk the narrow path requires the fear of the Lord. But the, when the Spirit of God comes and lands, it, it comes with a verdict. You do your bit. You maintain the narrow path. You maintain a posture of the fear of the Lord. You maintain coming into agreement with all of His judgments. You see His goodness in your obedience. You see, not, not that your, your obedience produces His goodness. You see that the real motivation to be obedient is because He is good. You do that, that is maintaining the fear of the Lord. And that makes a demand on heaven to do the thing that you cannot do, which means that the Spirit of God comes and lands on you and causes you to break forth and prosper. It's a demand on heaven for God to outstretch His arm and move on your behalf. He has to. He actually has to. You know what? I've really, I said I only had two Scriptures. Can we put up Acts 9.5? So this is when Saul, before he became Paul, is on, his, is on the way and he gets you know, blinded by the Lord. Well, the only part I wanna focus on here is this. Can you go to the next bit? Okay, wait a minute, go back. <laughs> okay, so the Lord's saying to him, after he's saying, I'm Jesus who you're persecuting, he says, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. The word goads there means sting. It was a prick that, the, that kept the, um, the beasts from you know, going in their own direction because it, would really, it was a really vulnerable part of their, it would hit their ankles, right? Very vulnerable. And the Lord's saying to him, if you remain in your own ways, because remember Saul had justified what he was doing in the name of the law, a God that he didn't know, a God that he only knew by principle. There was no heart connect, right? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. The word goads there means sting. And it's also the same word in 1 Corinthians 15, um, where it talks about the sting of death. So that's the point. The point is, it is hard for you, not difficult. He's not saying it's difficult for you to do that. It's actually very easy to do it. But he's saying it's actually harsh and violent for your soul to kick against and buck against the, the, the path that I have ordained, the path that I have said is good, not what is right in your own eyes. So what I wanna do tonight is this, that's why I said it'd be a bit different. Um, could you, yeah, could you just put the pads that I like on, please? Mandy might have to tell you which ones they are. Um, what I wanna do tonight is this, the Lord said to me, if you, don't, if you don't remember, He said to me at the beginning, He said, tonight is more about testimony than it is a teach. It's the Word of the Lord, I know that. It's the Word of the Lord, He confirmed that. But He said, the, tonight is more about testimony and maybe some ministry. Now, you know what's interesting? The fact that He said maybe, the Lord's never spoken like that to me. He doesn't say, you know, probably, maybe. And I, he just downloaded to me then why he said maybe, because it's been bugging me all night. Because it's not a guaranteed. 
ministry comes when we posture ourselves to receive. Somebody can't slap you with ministry. So I'm gonna extend an offer, a proposition, an invitation, according to what the Lord showed me. He said that tonight there is opportunity for us to receive the truth of that judgments produce resets. Resets are an opportunity to overcome and then comes testimony. And He said, I'm going to release you to impart. And I said, what am I imparting? And He said to me, a grace that you carry, a grace that you carry to forsake all others, a grace that you carry. Now, I don't even know what that means. That's just what He said to me, because this is all about marriage. Remember, holding His feet, washing His feet, looking into, into His eyes is requires such, it makes such a demand on your inner world for intimacy, so confronting and challenging more than in a marriage. You just try it. Holding His gaze and serving Him out of pure worship and love and not for the virtue that comes with the, whatever we've associated with service. That He is the reason, He's, He's always the reason, He's the centre. And that testimony is what He sees as, a, as an expression of our love for each other. Not, I've, I, I can testify, therefore I love you. No, 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 it's a celebration of the marriage of the Lamb with us. Because the marriage of the blood of the Lamb and the Word of our testimony, that's a marriage. So maybe ministry. I just wanna extend the opportunity if anyone wants to receive an impartation on the essence of this Word, would you please just come and I just, I just wanna just, I'm just gonna touch you. I'm just gonna touch you, it's all I'm gonna do.